Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. As you know, we always feature a nonprofit spotlight at the close of our show, and I wanted to let you know you will need a pencil and paper at that time to take down some important information about a food drive my charity, Spare Some Change, is coordinating. It is COVID safe because all you need to do is order non-perishable, non-perishable food items from any online retailer like Amazon, Walmart, Target, etc. And instead of having the food shipped to your address, have it shipped directly to Dorcas Ministries at 187 High House Road, Cary, North Carolina, 27511. It couldn't be easier or more COVID safe. And I'll give you that info again later on. But for now, on with the show. Today we are talking about that twice a year headache, daylight saving time. And it is daylight saving time, not savings with an S. And I'm sure during this broadcast, I will flub that and and add the S because it's likely we are prone to use the incorrect term savings because we recognize it from everyday contexts like savings bonds or savings accounts. It's just more familiar to us and sounds, (laughs) sounds better. But anyway, daylight saving time in the United States begins each year on the second Sunday in March when clocks are set forward by one hour. They are turned back again to standard time on the first Sunday in November. That means this year and 2021, with the exception of Hawaii and Arizona, which do not observe DST, we will all be springing forward on March 14th. Dr. David Peral is here today to discuss this matter. He has been recognized as the world's foremost authority on daylight saving time. He has appeared on the NBC Nightly News, the Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN International, and on countless other shows, including those in Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. Welcome, Dr. Hello, Mary. I'm glad to be with you. I really want to digest your book and your experiences, so let's begin with talking about the history of daylight saving time and the many colorful heroes and opponents who often fought bitter battles over control of the clock. Well, the idea, the concept goes back to Benjamin Franklin. He was U.S. ambassador to France in 1784. He was 78 years old, living in Paris. And he used to sleep late and go to uh, diplomatic uh, events uh, through the night. Uh, one day he woke up early, saw the sun shining in his window, and he realized he could light his house for free with the sun rather than having in the evening to spend the money on 
expensive candles. So he proposed having everybody wake up earlier uh, to make better use of sunlight. And that's really the basis idea of daylight saving time, to make better use of, of, of sunlight. Uh, however, he didn't really have a good idea how to accomplish that. Uh, and so it wasn't until uh, much later in 1895 that a man named George Vernon Hudson in New Zealand proposed moving the clocks forward. But they didn't go anywhere in New Zealand, and he was laughed at mostly. And so it wasn't until the early 1900s in England, a man named William Willard proposed moving the clocks uh, an hour forward uh, in the summer and uh, proposed it to Parliament. Uh, word of that got around the world. And eventually, when World War One came, it was adopted by countries on both sides of the war, and uh, was used spotily between World War One and World War Two. Afterward, was used in World War Two by both sides, and after World War Two, it became very popular in many places around the world. In 1970s, the U.S. put in national year-round daylight saving time uh, for an energy crisis, but it proved so unpopular that it was uh, repealed after a year and went back to the normal uh, period of, in, in the summer. And so here we are today. We have about eight months of daylight saving time, spring to fall, and sand to time in the rest of the year. So in addition to your in-depth research into this history that you're talking about, you were a key contributor to the largest technical study ever performed on the effects of DST, co-authoring three major U.S. government reports to Congress on the subject. I want to look at several factors in this, starting with the effect of daylight saving time on energy use. Okay, well, let me say, first of all, anything I'm talking about is the spring to fall daylight saving day, because the winter situation is a little different. But anyway, uh, for that kind of daylight saving time, energy use has always been one of the major benefits of daylight saving time. It was used to save energy in World War One and World War Two on both sides of the war. And even today, uh, the latest major study of energy was done by the U.S. Department of Energy in 2008, and they found that even at the very beginning and very end of the daylight saving time period where the benefit would be the least, there still was an energy saving, and the rest of the period there would be more. Um, so there is an energy saving. Okay, so I'm going to just throw some topics at you, and, and you okay, just sure. give me your thoughts on all these uh, studies. What about motor vehicle accidents? Motor vehicle accidents is one of the major benefits of daylight saving time, spring to fall. And in fact, some countries like the United Kingdom, they consider that the number one benefit. There are some problems, as you might have heard, the first day or two or three after daylight saving time changes. And there might be a small increase those first few days. But over the 280 days of daylight saving time, there's a major benefit of decreasing uh, motor vehicle accidents. Okay, what about crime? Crime also has been found to go down because there's uh, uh, a lot of crime right after sunset. So if you move the sunset back an hour, it just gives less time for uh, that kind of crime, outdoor crime, uh, mugging and breaking and entering. And so those tend to go down when you have daylight saving time. Okay, let's talk about health for a minute. Health is another big benefit in in, in the uh, warm months of the year. In 
in places like Australia and New Zealand, they consider that the number one benefit of daylight saving time. Of course, they have their daylight saving time in their summer, which is our winter, but when they have it in the summer, it lets people stay out later uh, on a nice summer day and get some exercise rather than have to go inside, and that exercise is uh, all different kinds. Some people take walks, some people play sports, uh, uh, some people do gardening, but they get more exercise because they have an extra hour to do it. Cost? Well, there isn't any clear uh, pro or con on that, I don't think. Uh, there's some things, uh, it, it's better for some things and worse for other things, and uh Basically, we haven't found a major uh, um, benefit or, or lack of benefit uh, in a cost uh, uh, thought. Okay, so it sounds like we talked a lot about pros. What about the cons? Well, in, uh, in, in for some people, there's is big negatives. People that are um, sun-oriented rather than clock-oriented, and that's uh, one of the major groups is the farmers. The farmers have always been against daylight saving time. Uh, some people have heard or think that daylight saving was put in to help the farmers. They absolutely reversed. Farmers from the very beginning uh, have been against it uh, because they have to follow the sun in general, and uh that everyone else follows the clock, so it puts them out of sync with the rest of uh, society, and that makes that gives them problems. Hmm. You know, and and I thought that myself, just from different reports, and I guess it, it kind of matters. And I'm glad you're the expert on it, because I guess it kind of matters who you speak to, because in some fields of thought, it's that you know this helps the farmers, and but I have heard the other size where they're not so big on it. And then back to what you said about energy use. Some people mm-hmm. feel that so, so you know, such a small benefit that it's not worth all the hassle of, of the, the time change. Well, that's just one, as I said, that's just one benefit. And uh, the, the, there is a small benefit in the middle of the summer gets to be a bigger benefit. Uh, so it depends where you're looking at and how you measure. But uh, there uh, and the farmers... And there's no, there's no doubt from the very beginning, 1905 when it was proposed in England to the present, uh, all over the world, farmers have been the number one group against it. So there may be a few farmers that like it. In the U.S., it's a little different now because farmers are more mechanized and so they're less dependent on the sun, uh, than they were before. But places around the world and earlier in, in our time, uh, Farmers have always been the number one group against daylight saving time. Mm-hmm. So, listeners, where do you stand on this debate? Uh, according to a 2014 Rasmussen report, only 33% of Americans see the purpose of daylight saving time. So, why do more than 70 countries in the world still use it? And to you- well, I do think that when people when you ask people about daylight saving time, what they think about is the uh, inconvenience and sometimes pain of having to change your clocks and lose an hour of sleep once a year uh, and change your clocks twice a year. Um, and that's true. It's uh, Nobody likes that. Uh, and it affects some people not too much. It affects some people a lot more. Uh, 
but they don't think about uh, the very dark mornings that you would get in uh, the middle of the winter if you didn't have uh, daylight saving time. I'm sorry, if you did have daylight saving time in the winter, and they don't think about the be- all the benefits that I mentioned in uh, in motor vehicle accidents and health and crime uh, that you get in the summer. If you went by having daylight saving time, so the current system of having daylight saving time most of the year, but not in the darkest months of winter, is a good compromise that gives us the benefits of both. And these benefits are often talked about. In fact, several proposals to stay on standard time or, or just plain move to full time daylight saving time mm-hmm. have you know appeared in, in uh, U.S. legislature. And according to the National Conference of State Legislators, more than 200 bills and resolutions related to this matter have been introduced, covering almost every state since 2015. You today, I want to ask you, because you have actually been a consultant to the U.S. Congress on the most recent law extending daylight saving time, and have also been a consultant on daylight saving time to the United Kingdom Parliament. This is this is big. So where do you see this going? Are we ever going to be rid of daylight saving time? Well, I think there's, I mean, there's a reasonable chance uh, because, as I said, people focus on the pain of the change and not the benefits of the of, of the time of the big time period uh, that it affects. Uh, I think that uh, it is very likely that there will be some changes in, in, in the uh, in the country. We'll see, but I, I can't really predict what's going to happen in, in legislatures. But I do think it's very likely that there will be changes. Now, after they make the change, they may or may not be happy about it. As I said, in the 1970s, they put in year-round daylight saving time. Uh, and it was very popular before it was put in, and as soon as they had it in one winter, it became very unpopular, and they uh, got rid of it. Uh, and that's happened in some countries around the world as well. So we'll see. But mm-hmm. uh, it would be very dark mornings if you have daylight saving time year-round uh, around the country, uh, places like New York and Chicago and San Francisco would have sunrise at 8.30, and places like Detroit and... Seattle, Minneapolis would have sunrise about 9 o'clock, and a lot of places would have sunrises maybe 9.30. So almost everybody would be getting up in the pitch dark and sending their kids to school in the dark. Uh, and that proved very unpopular when it was done. But I do think there's a very good chance that that's going to happen because, as I said, people focus on the inconvenience and negatives of, of, the, of the change. Mm-hmm. So I love the title of your book, Seize the Daylight, The Curious and Contentious Story of Daylight Saving Time. I want you to tell us a little bit about the curious or other fascinating reasons why we spring ahead and fall back. Well, there's a lot of interesting anecdotes. My book is full of them about daylight saving time. That, uh, For example, after World War II, daylight saving time was popular. Uh, but the national daylight saving time was uh, repealed, and so each state or city or town could put on daylight saving time if it wanted and when it wanted. And it, be- it started to spread around the country, and some states, some cities, some towns put it in, and sometimes starting one day, sometimes starting another day. And it was good for a while until it got to be so widespread that it became a very... Uh, 
unwieldy mess because people didn't know what time it was in other uh, areas. Uh, and you had situations like this. There was one time when you had daylight saving time in St. Paul, Minnesota, but not in Minneapolis. It's Twin City. Mm. Uh, I could believe that they could live that way, but yeah. they did lose for a short time. Uh, there was a bus ride you could take from Boundsville, West Virginia to Steubenville, Ohio. It was only 35 miles, but you would have to change your watch seven times in those 35 oh. miles because you'd go in and out of daylight saving time. Oh, my gosh. You know, <laughs> in uh, Iowa in the early 1960s, uh, there were 23 different starting and ending pairs of starting any dates of daylight saving time of the towns in Iowa. So nobody knew if they had daylight saving, if they were going to some place three or four towns away, they didn't know you know what time it was there. So it got to be very confusing. So it was a very interesting and chaotic period of, of time and one of the curious things in the history of daylight saving time. Wow, that is very interesting. I'm so happy you shared that. That's crazy. I have a hard enough time with it twice a year, making right, sure I right. write like notes all over my house, remember to change. Although if they ever got rid of it, I don't know, then we'd have a new problem. How would we remember yeah, to change the batteries and the like one. our spoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors? Then right. we'd have we'd have to put that on our calendars. Right. I do think, however, one of the reasons we, there are problems with at the transition is that most people don't even know it's coming until it comes, and then they lose an hour of sleep, and they, you know, may be a little groggy when they're driving to work, and they have more chance of having problems. And I think one uh, solution would be to have a, a more a notice and, you know, some public service announcements uh, the week before strongly reminding people that they're going to lose an hour of sleep, so maybe go to sleep an hour early that day and so on. And hopefully that could eliminate a good portion of the problems that we have with the transitions just by people knowing it's coming and planning for it. I mean, it's really no different than going east one time zone. Like if you went from Chicago to New York or London to Paris or Tokyo to Beijing, all of those are one-hour time differences, and, you know, multitudes of people do that and every day, uh, uh, switch from, from one time zone to the next time zone, and they lose an hour, but they, you know, they manage to survive, so I think uh, people could if they just prepared a little more. So, Doctor, if people are interested in checking out your book, Seize the Daylight, The Curious and Contentious Story of Daylight Saving Time... Uh, by the way, which Economist calls the definitive book on DST, where, where can they go? Well, I think they can uh, look on the web and probably at the, uh, at the uh, online bookstores, or any bookstore could probably order it. And uh, or they, if they want to contact me, if they have any is issues or questions about that, I'd say any time, or just any interesting uh, information, they can contact me at... Uh, uh, SeizeTheDaylight.com That's the name of the book, Seize the Daylight, S-E-R-Z-E, SeizeTheDaylight.com, and they can contact me through that website if they want to. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, this was great. Thanks a lot, Mary. Time for our nonprofit spotlight. Pantry for the Pandemic. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. I am the founder of a small charity called Spare Some Change, 
a group of community-minded people who do random acts of kindness, and right now we are trying to meet the need of food shortage caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh, that pandemic. I invite you to please join the Spare Some Change Pantry for the Pandemic campaign to put food on the tables of those in need via a COVID-safe way by simply placing an order with any online retailer that can ship groceries, such as Amazon, Walmart, Target, etc. Order non-perishable, non-perishable groceries, and any amount you wish, and rather than have the food items shipped to your home, have them shipped directly to Dorcas Ministries, D-O-R-C-A-S, Dorcas Ministries at one eight seven High House Road Cary, North Carolina two seven five one one. By using this COVID safe delivery system, you can still spare some change in the world without any of the concerns associated with getting the virus. Please be sure to place your order between February 17th and March 5th. So just a a little bit of time left, March 5th. So maybe as soon as you finish listening to the podcast, you can do that. There's going to be extra Dorcas staff on hand to accommodate the increase in the food donations. So you just got a little bit of time. Try and get it in by March 5th. And again, that's Dorcas, D-O-R-C-A-S, Ministries, 187 High House Road, Cary, North Carolina, 2 Seven five one one, and and I'll include that address in our show description notes for your convenience as well. If you just look on your uh, podcast platform, you'll see it there. Additionally, since 1968, Dorcas Ministries has provided compassionate assistance to area residents to empower people to become stable and self-sufficient. So, a really good organization. My charity, Spare Some Change is a group of community-minded people who do random acts of kindness, and some of our activities have included a sleeping bag drive, storm victim relief, mosquito shelters for the homeless, clearing a forest preserve, pet welfare, soup kitchen meals, environmental goals, and educational projects. Well, it's time to high-five and say goodbye. Listen to Triangle 411 on any major podcast platform or at our website, triangle411.buzzsprout.com, and you'll be able to hear stories like one about U.S. Women's World Soccer Champ Jessica McDonald, James Beer finalist Chef Kumar, she's right here at Garland's in Raleigh, tips for small business marketing, and just on and on from the serious to the funny. Please be sure to subscribe and like us. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 be accepting.